Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis coming to you with another episode of Battleground PA. And today we're going to focus in on an analysis, sort of, of the recent elections in Pennsylvania, as well as delving into how our pundits feel about the ongoing impeachment inquiry of President Donald Trump. So in a bit, we'll hear from Jeffrey Lord and Rajette Harris. And please remember to rate and subscribe to Battleground PA. This is Battleground PA, a pen live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. I am delighted once again to be joined by Rajette Harris, that wonderful Democratic pundit, and Jeffrey Lord, who uh, is our conservative analyst here with us today. And we welcome you to join us at Battleground PA at Twitter or on Facebook. And of course, if you have ideas for topics that we should discuss, just send them to topics at battlegroundpa.org. So, Jeffrey Rajette, let's get into it. It was a better turnout than anyone expected, which causes me problems because we were predicting people weren't going to come, and then they did come. So let me hear from you. Did you think it was a decent turnout? Were you satisfied, Rajette? It was higher. Um, Four years ago, for instance, in Dauphin County, a turnout was 25%. The turnout for this election was 30%. So it did go up 5%. I would argue that local elections, even though national elections get more attention, local elections are actually a lot more important. A lot of the issues that people care about are your local elected officials, your trash pickup, uh, education, your school board races. So 30% turnout in Dauphin County to me is still relatively too low. But with that said, it did uptick uh, 5%. Yeah. Um, so I am happy that there was more participation. But we got reports that the elections, I mean, the turnout surged in places like Philadelphia and all. But Jeffrey, how do, how do you think it, it did? Well, let me start by agreeing with Rochette that I think local elections are very important. That said, I honestly don't think that they are predictors of what happens in a presidential election. I mean, we're a year, maybe we're now less than a year, five few days away from the presidential election. And good Lord, the world is going to turn (laughs) turn around (laughs) so many, 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 many times between now and then that this will long be history. And so I don't think it's a predictor of any kind. I would agree. Yeah, it isn't. But it does at least tell you how energized voters are. Now, Rajette, I have to tell you, I'm a little bit concerned that if indeed um, Democrats are so worried and so upset and about the Republican Party and about what's going on in Washington. Why didn't they get out? Why wasn't it? Why couldn't you inspire like 50 percent? OK, I know maybe that's going to create. But but really, what is it? What will it take to get people to the polls? A lot has to do with the races. For instance, in states where you had uh, governorships up, where you had uh, legislature seats up, the turnout was higher. Here in Pennsylvania, we had two statewide positions, but they were judicial elections. And then we have our local and county races. You know, it's easier to get people excited running for Congress than register of wells. Exactly. There's more money in the higher races. It's harder for local and countywide uh, candidates to raise money because the positions, I don't want to say they're not as interesting, but they're more administrative. So it's harder to run. You can't run on criminal justice reform or health care 
or anything of that nature. So, which would be issues that would really galvanize voters yes. together. Yes, yes. Okay. exactly. All right. So you agree with that. You don't, do you feel Republican turnout was what it should be? Or did, was there's any indication that they were revved up for any reason? I don't think so. I mean, I just think it's a wash, as it were. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't matter. You know, local elections just don't matter. I mean, unfortunately, that is what people they just don't get concerned. I mean, I mean, (laughs) I I guarantee you when we get to the next election, everybody's going to know who's running for president. Uh I would uh, be willing to bet you that 90 percent of the people who voted have no idea who the candidate was for register of wills. Yeah, Yeah. You know, it just that's just the way it works, you know. And it's not always the candidate's fault. Again, it's harder to raise money to get your message out Mm -hmm. um, for local county elections. And I'd also agree that the elections uh, were washed um, based on the results. Our uh, statewide judicial elections, it was one and one, one Democrat, one Mm -hmm. Republican. The Democrats dominated in the East. The Republicans did better in the West. Um, We had two independent candidates win, um, which I thought was very interesting. In Scranton, a Democrat won. A first woman won mayor of Scranton, in addition to running as an independent. And then in Philadelphia, um, Republicans, if I'm not mistaken, only had two seats to start with, and they lost one to a third-party candidate. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly, what, what this tells me, and I think both of you agree, is that Pennsylvania really is a battleground. It is ne- it is neither one way or the other yet from what you can see. It, we're duking it out here. Purple state. Yes. Purple, yeah, I mean, we're duking out. But so do you see, and we're going to get into now next the difficult topic of the impeachment, but as you're looking at that, or this and what happens, is it causing the parties to change any strategies, to change the way they're doing things? I mean, one of the questions I have is that, you know, the criticism that's come to the Democrats is that you focus too much on the urban areas. You're not really getting out here in Pennsylvania into the rural and areas. Is that right or is that wrong, Rochette? No, you're right. So what are you going to do about it? <laughs> what are they going to do about it? <laughs> we need to urge, and um, at least here in Pennsylvania, the state party is making more of an effort putting field organizers in the T. The, the national party, I would argue, even with the elections this year, our statewide candidates focused more on Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and did not come to the middle of the state enough. Dauphin County, for instance, yes, it was Republican-dominated this year, but last year, every Democrat won, and Hillary Clinton won Dauphin County in 2016 over Donald Trump. So there are parts of the middle of the state that can go Democratic. There are a lot of Democratic candidates here. We have that issue in Dauphin County also. When people run countywide, they focus on just the city of Harrisburg and ignore the suburbs. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. cannot ignore the suburbs anymore to win the county. Yeah, well, speaking of not ignoring the suburb, that's the criticism for the Republican Party. I've mm-hmm. read here people are saying... You guys are losing the suburbs. What are you going to do about that? Well, I'm not really totally surprised about this. You know, first of all, I think in the American political system in general, that you can go from state to state. I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts, and a lot of people in Massachusetts, when it comes to politics, think, what's going to happen in Boston? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And they forget Western Massachusetts. In New York State, it's New York City. In California, it's L.A. and San Francisco. This is just sort of a, I think, the way people naturally tend to think. And for some reason, because that's where you've got whole hundreds of thousands of votes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as we saw in 2016, I mean, when you look at that map of Pennsylvania post-election, Donald Trump carried 56 counties Mm -hmm. and lost 11. 
you know, that says everything. About, you don't see any signs of that changing right now? I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. How about you, Rajette? Do you see that changing? No, I don't. Um, but we have a great case study uh, with the election this year. Uh, Shayla Ellis ran for commissioner in Swatera Township in Dauphin County. They had to do a recount. She actually won by six, eight votes by them counting all the re- doing the recount and also counting the absentee ballots. So we just found out that she won a day or two ago. But that just goes to show that every vote does count. Absolutely. Um, to go back to the, our earlier discussion about we can't ignore the suburbs. We can't ignore the cities. We have to really try to reach as many voters as we can. 2016, uh, Donald Trump won this state by less than 100,000 votes, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't a huge difference. I think it was 40-some-odd thousand votes. Right. But it was enough, obviously, to give him those 20 electoral college of votes. So we definitely need to reach every vote we can. And I forget if I mentioned this last time around, but I'll, I'll say it again because I think it's relevant. I gave a talk uh, a little bit ago over in Lebanon County to the Lebanon County Republican Party. And before I went, I looked up the stats. John McCain carried Lebanon. It's a Republican county. He carried Lebanon County in 2008 with 58% of the vote. Mitt Romney carried it with 63% of the vote. Donald Trump carried it by 65%. And aside from the fact that these people are clearly very revved up and energized, I think that that is going to be the margin of victory or defeat is what is the turnout, the enthusiasm, et cetera. But you're not concerned that the reports that, I mean, I, I have a quote, I was looking for the quote here from someone that says the Republicans are simply not connecting with the suburbs anymore. You're not concerned about that? Is that a strategy maybe that they're refocusing they're efforts They're making there? it up elsewhere. In other words, in terms of Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania used to be, you know, to considerably Democratic stronghold. Right. Pittsburgh, still, yes. But surrounding mm-hmm. Western Pennsylvania, no. I mean, when you, again, look at that county by county map from 2016, Western Pennsylvania was a sea of red. So it's not as if we're losing the suburbs and that's added to losing Western Pennsylvania. What we're seeing here, in effect, is a swap. Okay. So it, again, it it boils down to it's a battle. We're still in a battle and that these sides could change and the battle lines could be drawn elsewhere. Maybe you should call this podcast Battleground PA. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be smart? (laughs) Okay, let's, let's move on to the tough one now. We are, as we sit here talking, getting ready to hear public testimonies with regard to the impeachment uh, you know, process for a sitting president. Right. This is only the third president who has faced this, correct? So first of all, just from you, did that have any, 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 any influence on whether people got out to vote this time? I mean, did I any Democrat so. go because they thought they were going to send a message to Donald Trump or the Republican? Here in Pennsylvania, no. Uh, now, maybe that made a difference in Kentucky and Virginia, uh, where Democrats dominated a little bit more. But here in Pennsylvania, no. Yeah, I don't think it made a difference Why? either. Why wouldn't you think that? Uh, because I think people don't connect the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're not sure who they're voting for for register of wills, whatever their decision is going to be, it's not because of who is or is not president or being impeached or what have you. Well, I would have just thought that the fever pitch around this. Now, maybe it's because I'm paying too much attention. (laughs) (laughs) We need to wean you off of this. But I would think that the fever pitch there in the nation's capital would resonate out into the the hinterland and that people would be looking at this. And if you're a Republican, say those doggone Democrats, they're out to get him. I'm going to go and vote and show them. Or the Democrats would say. 
you know, we've got to do something. We've got to show we've got power. So I just don't get why it's not resonating at all in real America, so to speak. I think it's resonating. It's just resonating for next year. It did not resonate for this year. Exactly right. I think it's resonating a lot, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to show in these elections. And, you know, that Kentucky governor's race, it was crystal clear to me that this guy has something of a prickly personality and was not well liked by Kentuckians. They had, I think, five other races, statewide races, and Republicans won all of them, including uh, Daniel Cameron, I think his name is, who was elected the first black Republican Mm. Attorney General of Kentucky Mm -hmm. by a fairly good margin. I mean, I think he won by nine points or something like that. So uh, I I just don't think that Kentucky governor's race was a bellwether. And yet Trump did go to bat for him. I mean, right? I mean, Penn said Trump apparently, yeah. I think he helped him in the sense that I think he was five to eight points down, somewhere Mm -hmm. in there. But wasn't enough to push him over. And he he brought Mm -hmm. him you know, up yeah. considerably. Mm-hmm. The polls were showing that he, he yeah. had, got a boost after that. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. Then we're going to come back and actually delve into where things stand with the impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. We're back with uh, the second part of our Battleground PA podcast on the recent elections. But now we're going to focus in really on what's going on in Washington and the impeachment. And again, if you want to join us, you can do so on Battleground PA at Twitter or on Facebook. And uh, you can send your questions to topics at battlegroundpa.org. And please do uh, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and rate us, please. That will be a very big help. Subscribe and rate us. All right, let's go into what's going on now. We're about to hear public testimony. Now, this was something that Republicans were demanding. They were maintaining that if you're going to do something this serious, you really need to make sure the American people are able to follow it directly. Are you satisfied, Jeffrey, where this is going right now? No, because they're not being allowed to call the witnesses that they want to talk to. I think that Senator Graham is going to maybe take care of that over in the Senate side. But he has made it very plain. If they don't have that whistleblower front and center to publicly testify that impeachment is dead on arrival in the Senate, and I think it should be. And one other thing that I can give you a little scoop, Uh, a few days ago, I had, along with two colleagues from the American Spectator, over an hour in the Oval Office with the president. And I can only tell you, he is upbeat. He is ready to fight. He was energized, focused, all of that sort of thing. So you feel good about how he's responding Absolutely. to everything. Absolutely. His, okay. de- his demeanor was A+. Plus. Okay. Rajat, if they don't let the whistleblower test, and you want the whistleblower to testify publicly in yes. front of cameras, yes, you're should... not concerned at all about the man's safety or about the rules that protect well, the identity of Well, he's the one who made the a... decision to do this. No, no, but there are rules that protect the identity. No, you're not going to, no, okay. No, no. Rajat, will the Democrats allow the whistleblower to, um, to testify publicly? I believe that Democrats will do whatever they can to protect the whistleblower to make sure that no harm comes to him or her and their family. I think that needs to be everyone's utmost concern. Um, obviously, uh, the whistleblower should testify, and what they testify to should be investigated. Um, but I do think that that individual should be protected. And so I Jeffrey, believe that you, that's 
uh-huh. one of the utmost importance of the Democrats. Jeffrey, would you would they be con- um, satisfied if he testified? They knew it was him, but they didn't reveal the identity. No, I mean, first of all, there's a bit of a game being played here. All kinds of people in Washington know his name. I know his name. I've written his name for the don't American Spectator. Don't say it here, okay? <laughs> Please don't uh, say uh, it here. Okay, but I'm just saying <laughs> yes. it is well out there. Rush Limbaugh has an audience of 20 million people, and he's been talking about the guy's name repeatedly. To pretend that this is some sort of state secret is just silly. All right, okay. But we can't ignore that there is a safety issue. Um, I know just on a county level, the retaliation that happens to individuals if they decide to use their brain and vote their conscience, right? <laughs> let alone something of this nature. Well, so I don't think we can ignore that the individual could be in danger if they come forth uh, publicly. It's different if someone says your name on the radio versus you actually standing in broad daylight and people actually see you. I mean, we we live in an unsafe society, whether we want to admit it or not. So I do think we have to con- make, consider that. When you decide to lift your little head above the ground and put your face out, put your name out there and all this, and it doesn't make any difference who you are. It could be a whistleblower. You could be a Fox News anchor. You, you could be us. There are going to be people out there who don't take kindly to it. And I know all kinds of people who have been targeted and all this kind of thing, and yet they go on television, uh, you know, five nights a week and don't shy from it. So you don't get to impeach the president of the United States, no matter whom it is, based on an anonymous, quote unquote, whistleblower who's not really a whistleblower, he's a leaker. And what we do know, without giving his name, is that he worked with Vice President Biden, he worked with John Brennan from the CIA. He worked in the Obama White House. I mean, that goes to motive instantly. So these are the kind of things that have to be out there. But that's what the hearings are for. We're going to be investigating. Well, which is why he should sit down there in the full glare of the spotlight. And And we should encourage people to come forward if they see something that they think is wrong or they see someone that may or may not be abusing their power. We want people to come forward. That's one of the things uh, sure. your average voter don't like about government right. is that they feel as though they're above the law and can get away with anything and right. everything. So we should actually encourage more people to come forward and investigate their accusations. But it also helps if you have firsthand knowledge, which this guy does not. But we'll, that will come out in the hearings. All right. But I guess the, the, the question that I still have is in this process, they're the founding fathers and their wisdom, at least as far as a process to deal with the president that people have questions about. Let's put it that Mm -hmm. way. There is a procedure that's there. Right. And that procedure does allow Congress, whoever's in power in Congress, to control the process. Is that right? I mean, are you really think that maybe that whole process needs to be reconsidered in general? I think it should never be used for total political reasons. And the thing that concerns me, the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution gives somebody accused of a crime of the right to confront their accuser. And what is the literal description of impeachment in the Constitution? It is that you can be impeached for high crimes and yeah, misdemeanor. Yeah, but one of the things I guess that's been pointed out is that it's all, it is a political process. So I guess the question that I'm having now is, should we, in light of what's going on now, look at changing that process? Is that process inherently unfair? Did, did our founding fathers design it wrong? We should have a different process where even at the early stages, the president should be able to bring his right. uh, or her 
witnesses and uh, have a yeah. chance to defend I mean, themselves from the very beginning. Well, the founding fathers didn't want partisan political parties either. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, <There's>... too late. <laughs> So we're living in a new era. Yes. Is it time to take a look at – are these well, rules no yeah, longer relevant? I, I mean the thing that baffles me – I mean it doesn't baffle me. But the thing that bothers me, let me say, is we have precedents. We have you know two modern precedents with Nixon and Bill Clinton. And they were both allowed their lawyers – they were both allowed to question witnesses, to call witnesses, you know, all of that sort of thing. This is being denied here. And the other thing procedurally— Well, it's my understanding it was being denied at the early on before they actually went into the official— Well, it's being end, denied right? now. It's being denied now. I mean, I mean, we keep focusing on the whistleblower, but there are other people. I mean, Republicans, for instance, want to call Hunter Biden. Well, if that's who they want to call, they should be allowed to call him. But that's not going to so, happen. So, Rajette, why aren't they willing to stick Hunter Biden out, out there to be? Well, uh, uh, the speaker just isn't going to allow the Republicans to distract from what the whistleblower is accusing what possibly happened uh, with the president. I'm bringing in all these other entities and maybe down the road they will testify as well. Um, but, you know... Uh, the Republicans can't control the hearings the way that they want to control them. As we know, uh, the president and the Republicans are great master of distractions. It's almost like a magician. When they're talking about one thing or tell you look right, I immediately look left. One man's- and, and, I, and I feel this is another one of their games. You're accusing the Democrats of playing games, but the Republicans and the president are also trying to play games as well. One man or woman's uh, distraction is another man or woman's due process. All right. It's how you view it, right? Right. All right. So here we are. We're about to go in, and and I think much of the nation is going to be riveted on this, right? I mean, on these these hearings. So seeing and hearing people there on television, what is going to be the power of hearing these testimonies on television where people can really see it. And, of course, there'll be comments everywhere. Did but, you see the yeah. story in the last uh, couple of days that Democrats internally are saying they've got to make this like a slam-bam kind of thing in the like first hour or two hours because they're afraid if they don't, they're going to lose the television battle. I mean, people will just not watch and all that sort of thing. I mean— I think they're actually right. You think people won't watch? Well, I think if if they tune in and there's no fireworks, I, I mean, this is just what, sort of my is, view of American culture. I what mean, is that? we're Honestly, all sitting here with cell phones and, you yeah. know, the, the the attention span of lots of Americans is a nanosecond, mine included, Yeah, but right? what, what is that saying about Americans? You're, we're talking about impeaching a president. Right. And you're not – and it's available on television – you're not going to sit there and watch it and make sure, oh, sure. you know. I mean, especially Democrats, Rajat, they're not going to be looking at this and making sure that they're fi- – or, well, it's everybody, Republicans right, too. Everybody's right. got a stake in this. Well, right? there's two There's two pieces to it. There's the attention aspect of it, but there's also making sure that um, real evidence is presented and comes out of yes. these hearings that, number one, an impeachment vote can take place, and number two – that the Senate will actually do something and hold hold a trial because there's the political side of the trial as well. So I think we have the attention aspect of it where people are going to tune in and actually want to see and hear the evidence that the whistleblower and that they've been hearing every night on the 24 
seven uh, news cycle. But there's also to make sure that the process can continue after these public hearings take place. I mean, you don't want uh, voters at the end to say, you know, here we go again. Why did we have these hearings? We actually need real evidence to come out. And I do think that's why Speaker Pelosi was so careful and did not just jump into this because she wanted to make sure that there was something to actually come out, which is why I actually think there is going to be real evidence that comes out of this because the speaker was so careful Mm -hmm. and tried to avoid holding these hearings in the first place. I, on the other hand, needless to say, I'm not a Nancy Pelosi fan, but I have enormous enormous respect for her. Mm -hmm. I mean, she comes from a political family. Her father and brother were mayors of Baltimore. If she is nothing, she is a great politician. And I think that she has been pushed into this by the you know far left of her caucus and the base of the Democratic Party, the energized base of the Democratic Party, and has been holding back and holding back and holding back, and now felt that she had no other choice. And you know it's interesting when you look at people like, and she more or less said a version of this. She said something like you know. Uh, I forget it was, a dog could run as a Democrat, I'm paraphrasing, in, in some of these districts and win in a landslide. And she's, she's right. I mean, you know, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez comes from a very blue district, as does Nancy Pelosi herself and, and some of these other folks. So their base is all revved up for this. But you get to the 30-some-odd Democrats who come from districts where Donald Trump won. I think in the case of Colin Peterson from Minnesota, Donald Trump won his district by 30 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. this this becomes a real problem for him. And I think that's why she's been balking. Right. No, I hear she didn't want to step into this for right. reasons that she's explained today. But we're here. Right. We're here now. We're focused. There's going to be right. at least an impe- the official hearing. impeachment hearing. Right. And most people are saying he's going to be impeached. I mean, do you agree or disagree? It eventually is going to lead to an impeachment of the president. Oh, I think I think that's entirely possible. Mm. And I think it will do nothing but help the president. You think the president will be impeached and his popularity will rise? Uh, w- w- mm-hmm. I mean, what this is going to do with his base is seriously energize it. Because, you know, and I've talked with a lot of these people and I get stopped and, you know, they vent to me and they see this as an attack on them, that he's mm. the stand-in for them. Yep. How about, Rajet, are you concerned that impeaching a president will actually mean he gets reelected? <laughs> it depends on what comes out of the hearings. You know, the Speaker Pelosi was here in Pennsylvania recently, and she separated the two, that the impeachment hearings is more about the oath of office, making sure that um, the president hasn't been abusing his power. Uh, regarding the elections in 2020, as she said when she, you know, spoke here in Philadelphia, that the voters will decide that. The president has his base. We obviously can't deny it. Um, the Democrats have their base. We can't deny that. But there's a large group of people in the middle. Um, as I mentioned earlier on in this podcast, we have independents now winning elections in Pennsylvania. Mm. So that's the group that I I'm more interested in as far as tuning into the hearings and and seeing what comes out of it. You both say, is that group in the middle that both of you are trying to win? Are they the moderates? These independents? Depends on the issue. Yes. You know, I I noticed in that Franklin and Marshall poll that the highest rated issue for people was taxes. Well, taxes is, is 
an economic issue. It's the economy. As the, that memorable phrase of James Carville that surfaces every four years, <laughs> it's the economy, stupid. And you know, I'm not so sure it's the economy. You know, because taxes, you, good economy or bad economy, when you see how much is coming out of your paycheck and that you I mean, right? Well, right. It, if that's your major concern, you're sure as heck not going to be inclined to vote for somebody who's saying, yeah, I'm going to raise your oh, taxes. Well, that's, well, that's a point. Well, but at the same time, <laughs> I don't think people mind paying their taxes as long as they see some benefits from them. So I might be paying taxes, but if I'm getting good quality health care, if my children are going to good quality schools, I don't think people will mind paying their taxes as much. Actually, but if you keep paying your taxes, you keep uh, changing your tires because of the pothole in front of your street, <laughs> then yes, you mind paying your Jeffrey, taxes. Jeffrey, that's, that's a good point because remember when we were doing the Facebook Live, the people said they would pay higher taxes if it meant schools were protected, if they yeah. saw an actual benefit well, you know, for those one taxes. Of the, one of the things I find amusing with some of my liberal friends, <laughs> particularly the rich ones who are out there campaigning and raising taxes, Elizabeth Warren wants to raise taxes. She can raise her own taxes this minute. Yeah. There is a section, of the, a bureau in the Department of the Treasury where you can voluntarily double your own taxes and send <laughs> well, it in. But strangely, they don't seem to be wanting to do that. Well, you know what? Let's leave it there. We have to wrap up. Why don't we all just go out and raise our taxes? Just voluntarily pay double. <laughs> well, listen, thank you both for joining me again. And thank you for tuning in again. You can join us at Battleground PA at Twitter and on Facebook. See you next time. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion and editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michel McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. For more info and past episodes, visit us at battlegroundpa.org.